I am glad to be here and I'm excited about this message today. If you have been here, you know we're in a series this month. It's called, Who Told You That? And we are looking at the lies and the deception that we can believe in our life, that can come into our life. You know, the, the people in cults and the people in Hollywood are not the only ones susceptible or believing lies or being deceived in their life. Uh, we as people in the church are just as susceptible. In fact, in some ways, we have more of a target on our back because we are followers of the truth. And so it can make it easier, it can make it a challenge for us. And you know, deception in our life is such an uphill battle in, in a lot of ways. I mean, we have the Holy Spirit to help us. Praise God for that. Because without him, we wouldn't be able to win the battles. Um, but even with that, deception is an uphill battle for us because not only are there outside forces trying to deceive us, some of the deceptions even coming from the inside. The great prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, he talks about the heart. He says, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else and it is beyond cure. So that's our own heart that can deceive us. We know that if you've lived any kind of life, you know that the heart can deceive us just as much as the outside forces can deceive us. And James, the half brother of Jesus, he said that we are enticed by our own evil desires that basically in, in deceive us into sinning and to thinking that it's not a big deal. So there's inside forces as well as outside forces that are working against us when it comes to deception. And the most effective kind of deception in our life usually is a deception that has a little bit of truth in it. You know, we're, we would probably reject outright deception. You know, the enemy never comes to you and says, says things that are outrageous or things that you obviously wouldn't believe. He tries to twist truth, just like he did with, with Adam and Eve, and just like he tried to do with Jesus in the wilderness. He tried to twist the truth a little bit. Praise God, Jesus didn't fall for it. And uh, our Lord and Savior withstood the lies of the enemy. In fact, he gave us the words that we have documented in the scriptures of how we can defeat deception and lies in our life. In fact, it's our text verse for the month, and it's out of John 8. And as we do, I would ask you to stand with me as we read God's word this morning. John 8, 31 and 32. It says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And everybody say this next part together with me. And the truth will set you free. Amen and amen. So if the truth sets us free, the lies put us in bondage. They hold us back, right? And so it's important that we understand that. And then I have a second text verse today. You guys are getting a twofer today uh, because I have a series text, but then for today, my message today is gonna be about fear's deception and how fear, the lies that fear brings can deceive us. And so I wanted to read as a text today out of 2 Timothy 1.7. And most of you probably know this verse. It's a beautiful verse from our God through the apostle Paul. It says, for God did not give us a spirit of fear. So fear does not come from him. But the one he did give us is one of power, of love, and of a sound mind. He shows us three things here that fear hates. The fear that would want to come against you, he shows us three things that it hates. It hates when we have power, the power of God in our life. He hates when we have the love of God in our life, and he hates when we have a sound mind from our God, because fear doesn't have a place if we, if we have those three things in our life. So the title of my message today is, Fear Should Be Afraid of Me. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we love you and we bless you today. We thank you for your word that is truth, that is life to all who will receive it. God, we thank you today that it's not some exclusive club that can come and know you, it's for all. You died for each and every one of us. And Father, we, we rejoice in that today. We rejoice in who you are. We pray that 
that in these next few minutes we have together, Lord, that your word would speak to our hearts. Not my words, but your words, Lord. Do the work that you wanna do in each one of our lives. We thank you that it will, your word will do what it is set out to do today. We honor you and we bless you and we glorify you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. Before you're seated, tell your neighbor, fear should be afraid of me. Oh yeah, you guys sound like you meant it. Mm. So just as uh, on the front of this, just because when I start thinking about fear, when I teach on fear, I always think about phobias because there's innumerable phobias and they're adding them all the time based on society and where we're going as a society. And I just saw a couple that really kind of made me chuckle this week. And one of them is called arachibutyrophobia. And it is the fear of peanut butter on the roof of your mouth. A clinical fear. And then my favorite is nomophobia, which youth, you guys probably have this. It is a fear of not having your cell phone in your hand. Who's got their cell phone? I see him. No, I'm just kidding. That's a clinical fear that they are saying now that some people genuinely have. And you know, they say the number one fear in the world is the fear of public speaking. And that the, the, of the top 10, multiple ones are, are fear of some form of death, some way of dying. So they're saying it's a fear of public speaking is number one, then death is behind that. And a comedian said one time that uh, it, by that logic, that if you're gonna go to a funeral, most people would rather be in the casket than given the eulogy. It's crazy. But see, that's what fear does. Fear is not rational. Fear is irrational most of the time. It is a very strong emotion that we have to deal with in our life. Sometimes it's based on our imagination. Sometimes it's based on ignorance. Sometimes it's based on history. There's a lot of things that can play into the fear in our life, but fear is basically a perceived threat. We are afraid of the things that we feel could be a threat in our life. And those things don't have to be real, they just have to be perceived. And I know people say perception is reality and it's a cute catchphrase, but it's really not. It can be reality for that person, but it doesn't make it true. It's still a lie if it's only a perceived threat and it's not real in our life. Um, so how does it play into faith? How do we deal with fear in our faith? And you know, contrary to the popular hashtag, fear is not the opposite of faith. Fear is not not having faith, fear is misplaced faith. Fear is faith in something that we should not be putting our faith in, but it's still faith in our life. Um, so how does it play into our faith? Because I, you know, I, I remember being about 12 or 13 and, and um, a movie came out by Stephen King and Stephen King, you know, he was one of those horror movie book writers and a movie came out and it was called Children of the Corn. And if you're my age or older, you probably know that movie. And, and uh, despite my better judgment, I went ahead and watched it. And I shouldn't have, because it terrified me. In fact, it really terrified me because we lived right next to a cornfield. <laughs> so in my mind, I mean, my imagination was believing all kind, making me believe all kinds of stuff. I didn't sleep much that night, because I was convinced as soon as I slept, those kids were coming out of that corn and they were gonna do to me what they did in those people in the movie. And so it was very real in my life. So, so me having this fear, it wasn't a lack of faith. I had all the faith in the world that they were gonna come out of that corn. It was misplaced faith in my life. So really, the opposite of fear, because fear puts us in bondage, the opposite of fear is really freedom. And freedom is what Jesus came to bring us. Jesus said in my text verse, the truth will set you free. It's not that the truth is gonna bring more faith necessarily, which it does, but the truth is ultimately there, there to set us free. 
It'll set us free from the fear and the other things that can hold us back in our life. And I don't know about you, but I am tired of fear seemingly having free reign even in the life of the church. We are not meant to live in fear. It is not from God. God did not give us a spirit of fear. So anytime we're struggling with fear, and when I say fear, I'm not talking about like concern. I'm not talking about maybe even some trepidation. I'm talking about that fear that you know when it comes in and it cripples you. And it starts to, it, it manifests with anxiety and worry and dread and sometimes even depression. It can have physical effects on our body. If you get really anxious, sometimes it can even upset your stomach. That's happened to me before. And that's, that's the fear we're talking about where it literally cripples us and it becomes a, a major point in our life. And it is not meant to just be there and be something that we just try to manage. We are meant to defeat it. We are meant to have victory over it in our life. And it is possible, plausible, and very, very doable for us as followers of Jesus. Because in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, Paul says, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. If we have the Holy Spirit living in us, there is freedom available. We are meant to live free. Now, this is the thing though. It's not just this verse that we just say, take this verse and we just claim it. And we say, okay, I'm free. And you just expect everything to be easy. The freedom is available for us, but we have to choose to walk in it. We have to purpose in our heart that I'm gonna embrace this freedom that I have. You know, you could have a car sitting in the driveway and say, I got a car so I can get anywhere I wanna go. But if you just don't never drive and you just walk where you're going, you're not gonna have the effects of that car. You're not gonna have the blessings of that car just because it's sitting in your driveway and it's yours. And the freedom that Christ came to give us, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. It's available, but we still have to walk it out. We have to live it out. We have to, we have to embrace it in our life. Because I'm here to tell you today, church, there's no magic pill when it comes to getting rid of fear. I'm not gonna get up here and preach a 30-minute sermon and you guys walk away, go, nobody's ever gonna struggle with fear again just based on hearing the word, right? James said, don't just be hearers of the word and deceive yourself, be doers of the word. We have to do the word. We have to apply it in our life and watch it produce fruit and manifest in positive ways in our life. And one of those ways would be to get fear out and to walk in victory and peace that the Lord would have us walk in. Because the very next verse in 2 Corinthians, he says this, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Look at this, you could easily miss over this, but he's saying here, we're being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. Okay, we wanna think, well, I got saved, so I'm just in his likeness, now everything's good, I'm just gonna go. It's ever increasing. We have to grow in our faith. We have to grow in even becoming more like him. We talk in this church all the time about next steps. It's not because it's some cute catchphrase, it's because that's how we live this faith. It's biblical, that we would continually be growing in our faith and growing more like Jesus. I don't know about you, but the more I grow in my faith, the more I find myself winning all the, a lot more battles when it comes to fear. And I don't just try to like figure out a way to never have to deal with it again, because that's not possible, because fear is always gonna continually come back. I'm looking for ways and growth and how I can continue to defeat it when it comes at me. Because it's not gonna stop. You know, whether you're wired to be fearful or not, there's always gonna be things in your life that can bring fear, that, that will try to envelop you in fear and anxiety and worry in our life. But we can win that battle against it. You see, fear's job is to get you to believe the lie. If fear had a job description, it's get him to believe the lie. Because if he can get us to believe the lie, 
The truth is completely irrelevant. If you believe the lie, if, you've heard, if you try to convince somebody of truth when they believe so wholeheartedly whatever the lie was, you know it's a futile attempt because you can't convince somebody of truth if they think they already believe the truth. And if the lie, if the truth they believe is actually a lie, the enemy's got you. The, the fear has you in its grips. So it's trying to get you to believe because it wants you to believe that the troubles you face are bigger than the solutions you carry. That's what fear wants. wants you to believe. If he can get you to believe it, if fear, and when I say he, I'm just referring to fear in general. Fear is definitely a male, amen? <laughs> um, that's just a little jab at all of us guys, but no, fear is trying to get us to believe that the problems we have are bigger than the solutions we carry. And I can tell you that my Bible opens a lot to Romans 8.28, because that's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. And it says in Romans 8.28, it says, uh, and we know, okay? So he start, Paul starts by saying, and we know. And it's, this is not just head knowledge, this is the heart knowledge too. And we know, so you have to know, that in all things God, I can stop right there. There's more to the verse, but you could stop right there. All things God. God is in all things. If I know in my heart that God is in all things, that is huge. That is huge. And I'm not saying I know like, oh, I've read it. Yeah, sure, I know that. But I mean, really know it and believe it, that he's in all things. Then the rest of this verse is even more beautiful, that he works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So I can know, if I know that God is in all things and he's working for my good, man, that is a huge key for us to be able to fend off the fear in our life. Because we're not necessarily now just looking for him to fix everything. We're not looking for all of the solutions to our problems to be the way we want them. We're trusting that he is working the good in it, even if it doesn't seem good to me, even if it's not something I would have preferred. So it helps us to be able to trust him. Now there's a passage of scripture that I'm gonna read uh, out of the Gospel of Mark that shows us kind of what fear can do in our life and, uh, and how fear affected the disciples back in Jesus' day. So Mark 4, verse 35 to 41. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, this is Jesus speaking, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So there's a couple things we learn from this passage about fear and how fear can just take over in our life and, how, and what it did to the disciples in this moment. These were guys that had been following Jesus. They saw the miracles Jesus had done. They saw his healings. They, they sat under his teaching. They believed that he was the son of God. So they, they knew who they were with. Yet when they allowed fear to take over, we see, first of all, that fear can make you a control freak, which is what it did in this situation. They, it's, it, in this version I read out of Mark, it doesn't say this, but in Matthew's version, it actually says the disciples woke Jesus and they said, Lord, save us. They were demanding that Jesus save them. These uneducated, simple young adults that were nobodies before Jesus met them are demanding that this, their master save them. You don't make demands of your master, 
right? He, and they knew who he was too, yet it caused them to want to control the situation. So they're, they're going to Jesus and saying, Lord, you got to save us. You got to do this. Rather than come to him saying, you know, Jesus, what do you think in this scenario? It caused them to want to control the situation because they wanted Jesus to do what they wanted him to do, period. That's all they wanted from him was to do what they wanted. And we see from this is that fear will entice us to control or to manipulate our situations instead of trusting our God. Fear will cause you to manipulate. Whether it's, whether it's if you're afraid that your kids, something's gonna happen to your kids, it'll cause you to control and sometimes manipulate your kids to try to keep them safe. Or if it's about your finances, your money, you're trying to control your money so tightly because you feel like that's what's gonna keep you safe. And when it comes to our relationships, our kids, our people that we care about, we justify it by saying, well, I do it because I care. I just care about, I just love them so much. When in reality, that's not really what it is at all. It's about control. It's about responding to fear. It's about reacting to fear in our life. And fear will cause us to control in, in our situations. And frankly, as a general rule, if you're with Jesus on a boat and the storm's coming and the waves are crashing and it's a pretty bad storm and they're bailing water out of the boat and you go down and you see Jesus asleep on the, a pillow, if Jesus isn't freaking out, you probably shouldn't freak out either, right? I was told a long time ago when I uh, went into doing missions work and I was flying a lot and uh, before, I, before I was flying too often, I had somebody tell me one time, if you're ever on a plane and you have horrible turbulence and you're getting scared, there's, one, there's a, one key, all you need to know is one thing to help you stay calm in a situation like that. You look for the flight attendant. If the flight attendant is sitting back, kicking back, not worried about it, you're okay. If the flight attendant is putting on a parachute and jumping out the door, you're in trouble. <laughs> Luckily, I haven't had that happen to me yet. So, um, and so it was good advice because not long after that, I was on a flight to uh, Southeast Asia and I was flying over the Pacific and when it was on a commercial airliner and I was dead asleep because I'd been up the whole night before because my girlfriend kept me up talking the whole night before because she knew I wasn't gonna see her for two months. And uh, so I was exhausted. And so I'm dead asleep and I woke up out of this dead sleep because we hit some turbulence like I've never seen. I mean, our plane dropped for a good 10 seconds. Stuff's flying all over the place. Bins are opening, stuff's flying out. It's pretty rough. And uh, you know, my first reaction was, oh no, what's happening? And I remembered that advice. So I just turned around and looked at the flight attendant. She's sitting back there reading a book. I said, we're good to go, and we were, you know? So when you're in a situation that can be scary and cause fear, what are you gonna do? You're gonna look to a person that's been in that situation before, or has more knowledge than you. So if Jesus isn't freaking out, which he never is, there's no reason for us to ever freak out if we're trusting him in the situation. So we don't have to control, we don't have to manipulate, we can trust him. It also shows us in this passage that fear gives us spiritual amnesia. I don't know if you ever heard that term before. Spiritual amnesia. The, the disciples forgot quickly what Jesus had said to them. If you notice at the beginning of this passage, Jesus went to his disciples and said, let's go over to the other side. Now, if Jesus says you're going over to the other side, where are you going? To the other side. No ifs, ands, or buts about it, right? And if Jesus says it, that's where you're going. And the disciples forgot that quickly when the storm came, they forgot the words of Jesus. And that's what fear does in our life. It causes us to forget the faithfulness and the promises and the goodness of our God and it causes us to focus on this worst case scenario. We'll forget how good God is. We'll forget how faithful he's been because we're just in this moment. We become very short-sighted and we're looking just at this moment. And I'm here to tell you today, church, that it is so important for us 
as followers of Jesus to remember in our faith. We don't spend enough time remembering God's goodness. The Bible taught the, the children of Israel, they were taught to sit down with their children and remind them, talk to them about how God had been faithful to them. And we need to do that today. We need to talk to our kids. We need to talk to our spouse. We need to talk to our friends about how God has been faithful to us about how where we've seen, like I had the situation years ago that I just was sure was gonna be horrible and look at that, God brought me through it, what do you know? And when we remember, you know what it does? It stirs our faith. It stirs our faith to remembering and remembering his faithfulness rather than focusing on this situation we're in now and worried that it's gonna be the worst case scenario for us. So fear will give us spiritual amnesia and what happens is if we get like that, all that God has done for us for us, will get lost in what he's not doing right now. And we don't necessarily need to focus on what he's not doing right now. We need to focus on who he is because if we can remember his character, remember his faithfulness, remember his goodness in our life, then this situation doesn't seem so insurmountable. And I can trust my God in the midst of it. Because fear and faith cannot coexist. They can't coexist. If one's in the room, the other one's gotta leave. And it's up to you who you're gonna let in the room. It really is up to you. If, you. if you allow fear in the room, it's gonna push the faith right out. But the beauty is if faith's in the room and you're not letting fear in, that's a beautiful place to be. Now I'll tell you, fear's gonna knock on the door. It's gonna be shouting and yelling and cussing you out and doing everything it can, but it won't get in the door unless you open the door for it. But they cannot and will not coexist. Another thing that this passage shows us is that fear makes us question God's character. The disciples said, when they've got Jesus, they said, don't you care if we drown? I mean, the absurdity of thinking that Jesus wouldn't care if they were drowning, especially with the fact that Jesus was in the boat too, so it would have had an effect on him as well. But they started questioning the character of Jesus. They're basically saying, Jesus, don't you love us? Like, we've given up so much to be here with you. We've given everything up to, to follow you, yet you don't seem to care that we're about to die. They're questioning his character, and what it does is makes us assume the worst in life if we become that way in our life. It can even make you assume the worst about God. You're definitely gonna assume the worst about people. It's gonna cause you to be pessimistic in your life, cause you to assume that everything is against you. And it doesn't matter how many times he's proven his character, fear will make you only look at the difficulty right in front of you and even cause you to question who he is and how good he is. And you know, we can judge them and say, man, that really wasn't very smart of the disciples, they had Jesus with them. But you know what, we do it too. We do it all the time. Now we're not as bold maybe to say it out loud, but I can tell by some of our actions sometimes that we, this is something we struggle with. Wondering if God really does, we question his character. How many of you have questioned God's character through this pandemic and wondered like, man, is he really, is he really that good? Is he, does he really care about every individual? Does he really care about me? I mean, I know so many people that have, gotten sick or been in the hospital or even died, like, does God really care? Like, God, don't you see what's happening here? And we start to question his character and it affects how we live. Because in you, when we do that, if we question the character of God, what happens is you're just opening the door wide for fear to come on in. Just come on in, fear. Faith, you don't have, get out. You can't stay in here, fear's coming in now. And when fear comes in, he doesn't just sit in the corner and look at you, takes over the room. Takes over and invites some of his friends too and brings them in as well. And they'll come in 
And you're gonna have a really, really hard time in your faith if you sit there and just allow fear to fester because you're questioning God and what God's doing. At the end of the day, church, God is sovereign. And God, we can trust God in pandemics and we can trust God in the greatest times. We can trust him through everything. We either trust him in everything or we don't trust him at all because he is who he is. And his ways are higher than ours. We, we don't understand everything, but nothing should ever be able to take our trust in him. Nothing should ever make us question his character because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he has shown himself faithful over and over and over again. You see, this is what a questioning spirit looks like. I don't know, maybe you never heard the term questioning spirit. It's not a technical term, but there's a, there is something that comes over us as we give ourselves to that where we just start to question everything. And it actually becomes a familiar spirit in our life. And the enemy just loves that. Your enemy loves when you just question everything. I mean, he will feed that and help and, and hopefully try to keep you doing that and, and just constantly being pessimistic and questioning everything that God would wanna do in our life and everything that God is doing. And this is exactly what fear does. It causes us to question, not just God, but even the things in the world, it'll cause us to question. And when we question God's faithfulness in our life, it is because of this fear and this questioning spirit. So what I like to do is I finish up today, I wanna just, Talk about a couple toxic questions, I think, that can breed fear in our life. And the first one, the first question we can ask that is very toxic is just very simply, what if? This is the biggest, one of the biggest tools of fear in our life. If fear was a person and he had a cell phone and he had nomophobia and always had to have his phone in his hand, <laughs> see how I did that? And then he, he, he would make sure that his ringtone or any alerts he got on his phone that his ringtone would just say what if over and over and over again. Because that's his favorite hit. Loves the what if. Loves when Christians say what if. Out of fear, if we say, well, what if? What if I lose my job? What if my spouse leaves me? What if I get sick? What if I get cancer? What if, what if I lose my money? What if, what if something happens in my life that, that I'm gonna lose everything I've worked so hard for? What if, what if, what if? And if we're living like that, we are playing right into the enemy's hands in our life, and we are just inviting fear to come into our situation, and the what if jingle will just continue to play over and over and over again. And what it does is it moves us from standing on the rock of God's faithfulness and goodness, and it moves us over here to standing in the sludge of fear. It's just a, nothing but a bunch of sludge that just slows us down and makes everything difficult in life and causes us to question everything in life. And you see the what if question, what it ends up doing for us is it, it causes safety and comfort to be the highest priority. It may, everything's gotta be about safety and comfort when we're saying what if. Like what can I, what if this happens? What if, what if I lose my job? Well then what I gotta do is I gotta, I gotta make sure that that can never happen or if it did that I would be, make sure I'm taken care of. And I'm not saying we shouldn't take care of things but there's a difference between taking care of things because it's diligent and there's, and do, or doing it out of fear. And we know if it's out of fear. We know if we're being motivated by this anxiety and worry where we're obsessing about something that is a perceived threat, but probably not actually even a real threat. And the truth of the matter is that the promise of safety in a situation does not eliminate the root of fear. If you could somehow figure out to ensure safety in a situation, whether it's with your kids or your money or your relationships or your health, whatever it is, if you could figure out a way where you feel like you can ensure that safety, it will not eliminate fear. That's not the cure to fear. All it's gonna do is it's just gonna try to come from another angle or try to attack something else in your life. 
It's not going to cure the fear at all. It's just going to deflect it. And the cure for fear is not to get rid of the storm. The cure for fear is to learn how to trust him in the storm. That's it, because there's always going to be storms. God didn't promise us ever that we're not going to have storms in our life. And if, if our idea of getting over or just getting through these things will help us get rid of our fear, we've deceived ourselves. If, if your whole motivation, if your whole mindset with this pandemic is to just hang on until we get through it, and then I'm sure everything will be okay, you're deceiving yourself because something else will come right down and, and replace that fear with something else. And what you do, if that's your mindset, is you're really opening yourself up to where when the pandemic's over, you'll find yourself start struggling with other things that you never struggled with before because you've opened the door to it and you're allowing it to take residence. And when it takes residence, it spreads. It grows like, a, like an algae or like a fungus. It's hard to get rid of. So we have to be very diligent with that. And you know, the root of this what if question oftentimes is based on history. It's based on what we've already experienced in our life, right? We say what if because I can remember back here where this didn't happen for somebody else or for me or whatever. And so now the situation's uh, confronting me and I say, well, what if, what if it happens like it happened for this guy, you know? Well, my, my, my mom's got cancer and everybody's saying I can trust God, but my friend over here, his mom died from cancer. What if that happens? What happened to them happens over here? And it's based on a lot, usually based on history, which oftentimes is about feeling the rejection in a situation. So let me, let me take you to the story of Moses. Okay, you guys know the story of Moses. He, God decided to use him to deliver his people from Egypt, right? They've been slaves for 400 years. God's, God takes Moses. He says, listen, Moses, you're gonna go to the elders of Israel and you're gonna tell them that I've sent you and you're gonna deliver them. And then you're gonna go to the Pharaoh and you're gonna tell him, let my people go. And he's not gonna let you go, but then I'm gonna bring all these plagues and he's gonna, he's gonna eventually let you go and you're gonna walk out of here with my children. And after this huge promise that God gives him, look at Moses' response. His very first thing he says after God tells him all these things in Exodus 4, verse 1. He says, what if? What if they don't believe me or listen to me? And they say, the Lord did not appear to you. Very interesting here, if you look at this, because of all the things Moses could have said what if about, I would have thought he'd be much more scared to go to Pharaoh and say, hey, hey, I know you're the strongest guy in the world, but you're gonna have to let my people go. He didn't even go there. He went to the children of Israel. He said, what if I go to the Israelites and they say, oh, God didn't speak to you. He's worried about that because he'd already been rejected one time before by the children of Israel. He was already rejected. That's why he had to flee to Midian. And so he has that history. So God speaks a promise to him and he says, but what if they reject me again? It was based on his history with them. And that's exactly what we do in our life so often when there's a promise from God, or even if it's just a storm that's coming that we've seen, that we see, and maybe we've seen something like that before, and we go, uh-oh, what if? What if? Rather than saying, you know what, God, this happened before, but I'm still here. So I guess I can trust you again in it. But we can go back and look at our history, and because you know, like, a good way to actually understand that is to just look at little children. Little children don't say what if a lot, right? They're just pretty trusting. They trust, like, when they're, when they're, I mean, when, when kids are, you know, real little, they just, mom and dad says something, they're like, well, it's true, mom and dad said it, right? They just trust. But as we get older, we have more history. We have more areas where we've seen rejection. Maybe you've been rejected by a, a family member or a teacher or a boss or a pastor or, you know, maybe you've even felt rejected by God. Now, God's never rejected us. 
but maybe you felt rejection in a situation because you didn't do what you wanted. So the what if comes from our history and we have to reject that what if in our life. We have to purpose in our heart to not base anything on any history of anybody except for the history of God's character and who he is and trusting him through it. It'll help us get past the, the what if. Another question we ask is why me? Why me, God? Why me? That's a toxic, fear-breeding question in our life when we do that. The questioning spirit will always ask, why me? You'd say, but I'm a good person, God. Why does this happen? I go to church, God. I read my Bible. I, I give. I tithe. I, I love people. Why me? Why is this happening to me? That's a toxic thing for us to continually ask. And we believe sometimes, you know, man, if I could just understand why this is happening, everything would be better. If I could just understand, God, you know, I, I'm wired in such a way, I have an incessant need to understand things, you know? Even in relationship, if Joy's explaining something to me and she's, you know, she's just trying to give me the high points and trying to get me to go along with it and I'll start grilling her and asking her questions because I just have this need to understand and then she gets frustrated and I don't understand why she's frustrated because I just want to understand and she just wants me to trust her and you know, men and women, we just, we're just two different people, aren't we? It always works out because she always helps me to understand. <laughs> but I have a need to understand, so I can even be prone to this in my own life. Saying, God, why? Why is this happening? Why are you allowing COVID-19 to hang out for a year and a half? Why, God? And we can do that. And you know what? There, there's even times where it's not the worst thing in the world to ask questions, okay? But it, again, if it's, it's where it's coming from, if it's from that questioning spirit where you just don't wanna trust, I don't wanna trust, I wanna understand, then it's not coming from a good place. Understanding is a good thing too. The Bible tells us to get understanding. So that's a good thing, but it has to come from a place of trusting him and not deceiving ourselves into thinking that, oh, if I can just understand, everything will be easier. It's not necessarily the case at all in our life. The, the Bible, in fact, promises that we're not going to understand everything. It's very easily, it's very clear through the scripture that to think we could be on the same level as God and understanding everything, he gives us understanding in some things, but defeating fear is not about understanding. That's not how we're going to defeat it in our lives. And when we focus on why me, we're shifting our focus from focusing on truth and faith, we're shifting it to being about me. It's about me, it's about being self-centered again. It's, it's all about me. God, why is this happening to me? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? At the end of the day, sometimes we're just not going to know, but if we're all just, if we're just self-focused, self-focus will always fuel fear in our life. If you're dealing with fear in your life and worry and anxiety, focusing just on you and how, it, how you are responding and how, how it's making you feel is actually fuel for the fire of fear in our life. And this may be a new concept for some of you, but one of the biggest keys to defeating fear in our life is to not be self-focused, to not be about ourselves all the time. The Bible tells us, and I, I've said, I say this all the time, but the Bible's clear that we're not to be the primary focus of our life. You are not the center of your universe. That is a philosophy called humanism that is out in society where it's about you first and then everybody else gets what you got left. Biblically, it's the exact opposite. It's about him first, his glory, his kingdom, his purposes. And even after that, you're supposed to look out for the needs of others, even above your own at times. 
And it's not just that God wants to do it that way to make it difficult for us. God does it that way because, partly because it helps us to find victory in our life. Because if we're focused on ourselves first, that's where we really get miserable. You wanna be miserable, just focus on yourself for a week. Very easy. You can tear yourself down, that inner critic will just wear you out. Then you start feeling sorry for yourself. And then you start asking why. And then you start asking what if, right? Just go down that road and it just grows and grows and grows. Being with Jesus does not mean we're not gonna have storms in our life. Serving Jesus does not mean we're gonna just evade all the storms in our life. In fact, if you look at this story in Mark 4, the disciples ended up in a horrible storm because of their obedience. Because they were doing what Jesus said, they ended up in a storm. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. The disciples said, let's do it. They're on the boat with Jesus doing exactly what he wanted them to do, and they ended up in a storm. Now, sometimes storms come because of disobedience. Jonah was in a storm because he was running the other way, running away from God and got on a boat, so God had to get his attention. But the disciples in this story were literally obeying their God, their master, and ended up in a storm. Some of you need to hear this today, that the storm you're in might not be because you're doing something wrong, or God's punishing you, or God's judging you, or you're reaping what you sowed, and so you think of all the mistakes you've made, and that's why I'm having to deal with this today. Sometimes you can be in a storm just because that's just what's happening. You could be in Jesus's best graces and enter into a storm. The fact of the matter is, Jesus is looking to bring glory through your life. Glory to him through your life. And if a storm's gonna bring him glory, he's gonna allow it to come. Think about it, if, if the disciples in Mark 4, if they just got in the boat, went across, nothing happened, it wouldn't even be in the Bible. But because they were in a storm, we see it in our Bible, and what it does, it gives us an opportunity to see God's faithfulness. We get to see his power. We get to see more evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. And I, I can tell you, the, the, when a day goes completely normal for us and nothing happens out of the ordinary, there's not really much to talk about. But man, when God shows up and does something and gets us out of a jam or helps us through a situation, that's when we like texting our friends and calling and talking to your wife when you get home and saying, man, this happened today, it was crazy, right? We tell those stories more when we see God's faithfulness through the storms in our life. And you see it too when Jesus talked about, he talked about the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand. You know, he's like a wise man builds a house on the rock, the foolish man builds a house on the sand. He's got two houses there. He says, the storm comes, the, the winds blow, the water rises, and the house built on the sand collapses. And the house on the rock, the storm comes, the wind blows, the water rises. Notice he didn't say, you built it on the rock, so I made sure the storms didn't hit it. The storms still come. It's very clear that the storms still come. It doesn't mean they're not gonna come, it just means you're just not gonna be destroyed because of it. And it means you don't have to stand in fear because you know your foundation is good. So we don't have to be fearful. So here's, here's the deal, church. We can, as I said at the beginning, there's no magic pill to just walking out of here and never having to deal with fear again. I think we're gonna have to, if I'm honest, we're gonna have to deal with fear for the rest of our life, but we can win the battles against the fear. It's just like saying, like, the enemy's defeated, but he's not, he's not living over in Japan somewhere and we don't have to worry about him. You know, he's still active, he's still attacking, he's still having an, in, an impact in the lives even of believers. So just because he's defeated doesn't mean we just walk out here and go, oh good, I'm, I'm good to go. We gotta fight the battles. We gotta fight the war. We, United States won the war of World War II against the Axis powers, right? We didn't get rid of our military after that. Military's bigger and stronger than it was in the 40s. 
We're still here. We still have battles to fight. So we have to walk out of here emboldened and empowered to say, I can win these battles. So when fear comes tomorrow, I'm going to win it. When anxiety comes at me next week, I'm going to beat it. Because greater is he that is in me than he's in the world. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom in my life. And I'm going to embrace that freedom and I'm going to choose to walk in it. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, stand with me, please, and we'll close. Amen. <laughs> I want to pray for us today. You're welcome to come up to the altar if you want to spend some time here just praying. Or you can stay in your seat. I, but I do ask you to respond. I think it's so important that we respond to the word of God. There's some response on our part where we are saying, yes, Lord. Open our heart to allow him to do his work. We open our heart to let his spirit do his work. We want our hearts to be good soil. The Bible talks about, you know, I read a verse about us having veiled faces. You know, we don't wanna, we don't want our faces to be veiled. Our faces, the veil has been taken off and we've seen the light of the glory of God. And we can walk in that and we can receive from him because our eyes have been opened to the truth of the gospel. So as we pray today, I just encourage you to receive this. Let's pray together. Father, we love you today. Lord, I thank you for your word, that it is life, that it is powerful, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, we don't come today in our own strength. We don't trust in horses or chariots. We trust in you. We come in your strength today. We thank you today that your spirit lives in us. And Lord, your word tells us to be continually filled with the spirit. So Lord, would you fill us today with your spirit? Fill us to overflowing, God, that we'd be able to live in the freedom that you came to bring. It was for freedom that you set us free. But then we also know you give us a command. Do not let yourself be burdened by a yoke. Lord, help us to walk in that freedom. Help us to choose freedom. Help us to choose not to fear. And when fear comes at us, when anxiety comes at us, when worry comes at us, when depression comes at us, when terror comes at us, Lord, we choose freedom. We choose faith. We choose to stand on the rock of your faithfulness. God, open our eyes to the battle and open our eyes to the weapons that we have to fight these battles. God, for those, there's, there's some here today that are completely crippled by fear. There's some that are listening that are completely unable in their own heart and in their own mind to defeat fear in their life. Lord, we stand with them today. I ask God for a miracle. I ask that you would set people free today, right now in Jesus' name, that we would see fear fall off of some of us. Lord, I pray that you would make us so desperate that we would do anything to walk in your peace and your freedom. And Lord, where we have given in to the lies of the enemy, Lord, would you forgive us? God, we repent today. We're not gonna walk in those lies. We're not gonna believe the lies anymore. The lies have no power over us in Jesus' name. We stand on your truth, Lord. Your truth and your truth alone. Father, we love you. We bless you today. I pray that as we leave today that you'd seal this work in our heart by your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen.